are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So this is our last Sunday in the book of Jonah. How many of you have noticed on the west wall, if you come in the west doors um, out of the parking lot, how many of you notice those words on the wall? Raise your hand really high if you've noticed those words, really high. I'm not seeing very many hands. Have you not noticed the words? Okay, you gotta leave through the West Doors today. Look, here's what they say. They say, we are passionate, meaning as a congregation of believers, we are passionate about becoming more like Jesus. You like that so far? We wanna become more like Jesus. We're passionate about becoming more like Jesus and helping others come to know him. So what we're saying is, if you come into our church and you're a believer, we're gonna say, we wanna invest in you and we wanna help you become more like Jesus because that's what a Christian is, someone who seeks to become more like Jesus, right? A follower of the life and the teachings of Jesus. But we also wanna help people come to know Jesus, right? I, I didn't hear you maybe, but right? Do we wanna help people come to know Jesus? We do, right? So we, we put on the wall that we're passionate about becoming more like Jesus, but we really want to help other people come to know Jesus too. So I'm, I was at a, a, a deal recently where I spoke to a group of pastors and I, and I got to talk to them about my mother. Um, my mom, all of my life growing up in this little Kentucky town where I was raised, she worked at a sewing factory called Oshkosh. And so she would have to be at work every morning at 7.30. Now, on Sunday morning, she got up earlier than 7.30 because all the years that I remember my mother being in her home, she taught a Sunday school class. So she got up early to prepare. On Saturday morning, however, she got up even earlier than she got up on Sunday morning, and here's why. She would, she would do the laundry, she would clean the house, she would go to the grocery and do all the shopping, get everything done for the week because my mom guarded her Saturday afternoons really carefully. Do you know what she did on Saturday afternoons? She went fishing, but not for fish. Do you remember Jesus saying, I will make you fishers of men? And so that was my mother's life. She would, she would go to town on Saturday afternoon and she would park her car she would get out of her car and she would go down the street and she would stop at every house and knock on the door. Somebody would come to the door and she would ask them if there was anything she could pray for them about. And she would ask them if they have a church. And if she, they said no, she would say, well, I, I have this wonderful church that I attend and we would love for you to come to church with us. And many people over the years, many, many, hundreds of people said yes to my mother's invitation to church. Many of the people who said yes to her invitation also said, we don't really have a car or we don't have transportation to get there. And my mother would always say, it's not a problem, we'll pick you up. And, and so that was what happened with my family. When, when you got your license, you turned 16, you got a car, you got your driver's license, you also got a list of people to pick up for church. And so I've told you this over the years, every Sunday morning, as a teenage boy, 16 years old, I got my new car, I'm all excited about it, I come rolling into church every Sunday with a car load of gals. Older, more mature gals in their 70s and 80s, but I came in with a car full of gals, okay? 
I don't know how many people came to know Jesus, became a part of our church family because my mother knocked on their door and invited them to church. I have one very distinct memory when I was a very little boy. I was asleep. My dad woke me up. Kids, get up, get your clothes on. We got to go to town. Town was several miles away. Why, why do we have to get up, Daddy? Why do we have to get our clothes on? It, it was the middle of the night. It's two in the morning. And he says, you know, so-and-so, this couple, yeah? Well, Mom's been talking to them about Jesus. And they tried to go to bed and go to sleep, but they're so concerned about their spiritual condition that they want to become Christians tonight. And so the four of us kids get in the back seat of the car. My mom and dad, we drive to town. We go into these people's house and the four of us, you know, sleepy, setting, lined up the four of us with our little coats on, on the couch, watching my mom pray with somebody, leading them to become followers of Jesus. That's my story, that's my heritage. See, my mom had a mission. She believed that God had sent her for a very specific purpose to do something. And she was gonna live her life doing it to the best of her ability. She believed that God had sent her to let other people know that there is a Jesus and that he loves them and that he can transform their lives. But the truth is you have a mission. I mean, if you were a follower of Jesus, don't you have really the same mission? I mean, didn't Jesus say, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Now go, make disciples. I mean, don't you really have the same mission that my mom had? And don't I have the same mission that my mom had? Didn't Jesus say, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, now go make disciples. I read a study a while back from Lifeway Research. And it was surveying non-Christians in the USA. And the research revealed that there are many, many, many non-Christians in the US who said, I have Christian friends but none of my Christian friends have ever talked to me about how or why I should become a Christian. The article talked about many unchristian people in the United States who said, I have lots of friends who are Christian. But none of my Christian friends have ever talked to me about how to become a Christian or maybe why I should become a Christian. You say, Rick, when you hear that, I mean, you're, you're a pastor. And we're like all the people in your church. What, what does that make you feel like? Are you frustrated at us? I'm more frustrated with me. And I remember saying to God, I can be better. I can do better. I can tell more people about Jesus. 
And, and I believe God is giving me the grace to do that. So it takes us now to the book of Jonah. We've been here for a few weeks, and here's the main message of Jonah. God loves everybody. God loves all people. Even our enemies. Even people who would hurt us if they could. Even people who don't like us. Even people who mistreat us. Even people who are rough on us. Even people who would cause great harm to us if they had the opportunity. God loves everybody in the world. Even, 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 even our enemies. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the fact that God loves people who would bring harm on you if they could? And not only is this the central message of Jonah that God loves all people, but God wants us to tell people that he loves them. God wants us to be more like my mama. God wants us to tell people that he loves them, even our enemies, and he wants us to love them too. How you doing? Because I feel like the mission of the church of Jesus Christ in America has fallen on hard times. And so when, when, when I say to you, or when I begin to think to myself that this is what God really wants us to love people and tell them that he loves them and for us to love them too, even our enemies, I wanna say, wait a minute, are you not listening? Don't you understand that we're already not telling our friends? I mean, we're struggling to tell the people we like and who like us back. And now you're telling me you're going to up the ante and we're supposed to tell people who don't even like us? That is the message of Jonah. So let's take some time and look at chapter four, okay? Found a cartoon the other day that a friend sent me or I didn't find it, a friend sent it to me and here it is. I thought you might get a kick out of it. It's Jonah coming home, obviously. His wife says, you're three days late, you smell like fish, and now what kind of a story am I gonna have to swallow? You know, it got about the same kind of laughter in the first service, it really didn't go over. I'll try one more joke on Jonah, okay? A little boy is headed to church one morning, his neighbor sees him out in the front yard. Oh, you're dressed up, you're going to church, it's Sunday, yes sir. You believe everything in the Bible? You believe Jonah was actually swallowed by a fish? He said, yes sir. He said, what if, what, if, what if it didn't really happen? The little boy said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask him if it happened. And the man said, what if Jonah don't go, didn't go to heaven? And the little boy said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> oh, I know, it's rough. So here we go, Jonah chapter four. You, you remember the summary? The summary of what's happened to this point? In case you're a little late getting to the story, Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh and preach. Why? Because God loves the people in Nineveh and they're very sinful people. And God says, but I love them and I want you to preach to them. And Jonah says, I don't want to go. They're our enemies. They don't like us. We don't like them. And God says, no, Jonah, I want you to go. I love them. I want you to preach. Instead, he goes the opposite direction, right? He gets on a boat and he sells the opposite direction and there's a great storm and he finally tells everybody, okay, it's really my fault that you're in this predicament that this storm is about to take your life, so you should throw me overboard. I'm actually running from God. 
Reluctantly, they throw him overboard. He thinks it's the end of his life, but God provides a fish. And for three days, he's in the belly of the fish. And he repents, kind of. And the fish spits him onto dry land. And God says a second time, Jonah, go to Nineveh. I love these people. And Jonah goes and he preaches. And the whole city repents. And God doesn't have to destroy them. God has mercy on them. And Jonah isn't happy. And that takes us to chapter four, verse one. Look at the screen. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. I mean, the fact that God would love his enemies and that he would have mercy on them. And he became angry and he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said you would do? When I was still at home, that is what I tried to, for, that, is, that is rather what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. That, that's why I didn't do what you asked me to do. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, just take my life, okay? I'd rather be dead. It is better for me to die than to live, than to be, you know, a false prophet and, and to not have gotten it right and for my enemies to live. And... But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Now, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made a shelter, sat in the shade, waited to see what would happen to the city. I'm just going to sit here. Maybe they'll go back to their evil ways and God will end up destroying them after all, right? It's not what happens. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his what? Discomfort. It made him comfortable. And Jonah was very happy about the plant that made him comfortable. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. He wanted to die a lot, didn't he? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I was dead. And here's the point of the book of Jonah. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. I mean, if you're concerned about a plant, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. In other words, think about it, Jonah. They don't know right from wrong. They have little knowledge of me. You don't think I should be concerned about them? And there we see the heart of God. He can't help it. He can't stop it. He simply loves people. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you or not, but my wife and I, Annette, we have a, a granddaughter. Her name is Sadie. Have I brought that up? Brought a picture, put it on the screen just for four or five seconds to show you what she looks like these days. She's now nine years old. She's growing up. And uh, Sadie is like any other little nine-year-old girl. She has days where she is just so excited about whatever's going on. She can't stand it, full of joy in life. And there's days when we might talk to her on the phone and she has a concern about something going on in her life. We 
are nuts about Sadie. One of the things I love most about my wife, Annette, is that she gets it. She understands how much I love Sadie because she loves Sadie as much as I do. I can try to tell some people about my granddaughter and it's like they've lost interest. They're looking over my shoulder. They're staring at the ceiling. Not Annette. If I talk to Annette about something Sadie said on the phone to me, she is all ears. She is the object of our love. Do you know who was the object of God's love? The wicked, sinful, evil people of Nineveh. Let that soak in. God would have said, Rick, I get it. I understand how much you love Sadie because I love the wicked, sinful, evil people of Nineveh as much as you love her. I'm crazy about these people. I'm mad in love with these people. My heart hurts for these people. I love everybody. There's nobody I don't love. They're all my people. So that's what's going on in the story. Jonah just don't understand God's mercy. It seems wrong to me, God, that you would love these wicked people. And they're our enemies. I, I think it's interesting that he even blames God for his own disobedience. It, it's, hard to, it's hard to really admit to ourselves that we've done something wrong sometimes, right? I'd rather just blame it on somebody else. Yeah, maybe I did it, but this person kind of made me do it. And that's what Jonah does. He says, yeah, I disobeyed you, but it's kind of your fault. Because I knew that you are good and you're gracious and you're kind and you're loving and you care about people. That's why I disobeyed you. I, I knew that if I, if I went that you would, you would have mercy on those people and you, you would forgive them and you would bless them and you would love them and you would care for them and you wouldn't destroy them. And so there's somebody looking at my eyes right now. And you need to hear this. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. God loves you. He cares about you. In fact, he's nuts about you. He's madly in love with you. And he will be gracious to you. And kind to you. And he wants a relationship with you. Because God loves everybody. And you need to hear me this morning say, I'm talking about you. So why would I stand here on Sunday and say God loves people, even our enemies? I would say it because God loves people, even our enemies, even if you and I don't. He simply loves. And Jonah's upset and he wants to die. And he was so happy that I was thrown overboard. The boat. I thought my life was over, but no, God rescued me. He showed his mercy. He didn't destroy me. He sent a fish and then the fish spit me onto dry land and I'm saved. But he's upset that God has shown the same mercy to other people.
Did you hear? He's really thankful that God showed him mercy and spared his life, but he's upset that God did the same for somebody else. Years ago, a friend of mine in Cincinnati gave me a book about Mother Teresa, and it kind of started this um, desire on my part to know more about her. And, And I've spent time trying to listen to recordings of her speaking, which is difficult to understand. I've just wanted to kind of know her heart more. She founded the Sisters, or rather the Missionaries of Charity, and and here was their, their vision, their mission. We want to give wholehearted service to the poorest of the poor. And she had what she called was an inspiration and believed that God was saying, leave the convent as a Catholic nun and go live among the poor in the city of Calcutta. And so they did. When Mother Teresa would travel to the States, to the United States, she would struggle. Here's what she said. I've seen great poverty. I've witnessed many hungry people. But when I come to the U.S., I see a greater poverty. She called it the poverty of affluence. She said, you have so much wealth, so many material possessions, so many things that you are trying to find life in your possessions, your wealth, and your things. And it will never satisfy you. And she said, I think you might be the hungriest people I've ever known in the world. Because none of your stuff is going to satisfy you. We, we have become addicted to comfort. And the reason I can talk to you so intelligently about this is because I live in a lot of comfort. I sleep on a really good mattress. I live in a very comfortable house. I drive comfortable cars. I take hot showers every morning of the world. I eat great food. Sometimes I say, I gotta quit eating so much food. I live a comfortable life And I like my comfort. It's Jonah's story. It's our story. Gets him a seat, goes out east side of the city. I'm just going to watch what happens. Who knows? Maybe they'll go back to their old ways and God will destroy them after all, right? And so he sits down and God creates a plant that begins to grow over him and creates shade. And he's happy about the shade because it takes care of his discomfort. Now he's comfortable. The Bible says he's happy about the plant. But to teach him a lesson, God sends a worm and he chews the plant and the plant is now gone. And now Jonah is upset. Why is he upset? Because you've taken my comfort away. I wish I were dead. I hate being uncomfortable. 
He doesn't care about the people of Nineveh. But he's so upset about his discomfort that he wishes he could die. Let me ask you a question. What if, man, how could I do this? Every, could, could, could you look at my eyes? Could, could I see everybody in the room just for a second? Whatever you've been doing to this point, even if you struggled to focus in this next, you know, six seconds, could you just look at me and let me have all of your attention? What if, I mean, just dream with me for a minute, okay? Just what if, just what if, okay? Just take a second with me and just say, okay, I'm gonna dream with you for one second, Rick. What if, what if you and I cared about people who are far from God as much as we care about our own comfort? What if you and I cared as much about people who are far from God as we care about our own comfort, I'm telling you, the world would change tomorrow. Is there anybody saying, can't we do both? I mean, I'm willing to take a shot at it, but I, I don't want to lose all this. I'm reminded of that quote that I read in a book years ago. We've given people just enough Jesus to be bored but not enough to fill the surge of holy adrenaline that courses through your veins when you make up your mind that you're gonna follow Jesus no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. We've given people just enough Jesus to be bored, but not to fill that holy surge of adrenaline that courses through your veins when you make up your mind, I'm gonna follow Jesus no matter where, no matter what, no matter when. I'll do whatever he asks me to do. And you can't do it on your own. And I can't do it on my own. But God has given us grace. And he said he would help us. And one of the ways that we receive his grace is in receiving the Lord's Supper. And so if you would take the elements that you received when you came in this morning and open the bread first, We believe that when we take this bread and we eat it, and when we take this drink and we drink it, that we are receiving the grace of Jesus into our lives to live the life that he has called us to live. And so when Jesus was with his disciples, he said, this is my body. When you receive this bread, you're receiving me, you're receiving my grace. Would you take it and eat it, all of you? And then he took this cup. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Poured out for the ransom of many. How appropriate. Drink it, all of you. And so, God, what we pray for in this moment is that you would give us the grace to do what we cannot seem to do on our own. That you would make others more important to us 
that you would give us a heart for people. And that we would be willing to tell them about Jesus at any cost. And I pray this in Jesus' name. In 1852, a long time ago, there was a man whose name was William. His last name was Booth. He began his ministry. He didn't get it though. He kept going to church on Sundays, but people who really needed to church didn't come. So living in London, he decided to go to them. So he just went to the streets. And he had conversations with prostitutes, with alcoholics, gamblers, the homeless, the destitute, the hurting. And he began to talk to them about Jesus. And they begin to respond. And then a group of people begin to volunteer to help him. He referred to them as, their, as his army. And he later scratched out volunteer army and he put the word salvation there. He's the founder of the Salvation Army. And God began to use him in powerful ways. More and more people begin to join the army taking salvation to the streets. Near his death, he was too feeble to be out of his home. And it was Christmas Eve, and the army had been serving. And somebody said, it might be good if you could inspire them, Dr. Booth. And so he sends a telegram. But the telegram is only one word, one word. You know what the word was? Others. What if we focused on others? What if it was a lot less about me and more about others? So God, give us the grace to love others. Amen. Here I am. 
our friends, our enemies. The saving grace that you've given to us so freely. Oh, how we love you, Lord. We love that we get to be together in your presence. And that in your presence, there is such power unknown. This side of heaven, Father, but we believe in the power of prayer. And so as we conclude our time this morning, that's how we've come to you humbly with our lives laid down before you. Send us out into the world, ready with grace and peace and the amazing love that you've given to us. We love you, Father. It's in your name and all God's people said, amen. We thank you for coming today. Go in the grace and the peace our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.